Can you hear me now? Okay. Now that the mic is on, and everybody at home has no idea what I just said, uh, <laughs> we're in Second Peter chapter 1, uh, and title is Everything We Need. <clears throat> Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and Father, we thank you for your love for us. Father, we thank you for everything you've given us, but Father, most of all, we thank you for giving us yourself. Father, we thank you for coming to this earth, dying for our sins, making a way for us to be forgiven so that we can be adopted by you as your sons and daughters and spend eternity with you. Father, we know what we have in store for us in the future. And Father, I ask that as we focus on your word today that you would help us to see what it is that we have right now and that you would help us to apply this and change our lives so that we live it out, live it out better in, in a way that represents how you lived on this earth and the way that you, you lived according to the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father, for your love for us. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so I'm going to ask you something. Have you ever felt hopeless? You know, a lot of people have felt that way this year. You know, a lot of people have lost people they love this year. Um, a lot of people have felt like they're trapped at home and can't get out. And, and, and just you start, to, you start to just feel hopeless because you don't see an end in sight sometimes. But I will have to say that as, as inconvenient as 2020 has been for most of us, uh, we don't even have any idea what real <coughs> suffering is like. We have no idea what real um, pain is like, but it doesn't make it feel any less, does it? You know, you can you can hear examples of people around the world who have went through immense, intense suffering, um, and and read in the scriptures of people who experience intense suffering. But when it hits you, you feel it. It feels just as real. <clears throat> well, there is hope. Hope in the name of Jesus. There's a person. Hope is not a thing, it's a person. He has something in store for us in the future, but we're going to, and we're all familiar with what he has in store for us for the future, heaven, perfect place where we're going to eat a lot of great food and laugh and, and, and sit around and enjoy each other's company and, and tell stories. And I don't even know what stories we'll tell, but we'll have all eternity to tell them. Um, and it's just going to be a wonderful, wonderful place. But we know we are not there yet. We are here right now, and so we're going to focus in this sermon about the hope that we can have now, what we have with us now. Um, <clears throat> a lot of our hopelessness comes from, a lot of times, being addicted to something. Sin is really what I'm talking about. That we are all, and, and we'll unfold this as we go through, but we have, regardless of where you are today, if you've experienced uh, life in the name of Jesus, if, if you've been saved for decades, and maybe you got saved when you were a kid, and there was a radical change then, and, and it was real, maybe you don't really remember what life was like before Christ. But regardless of your circumstance, regardless of what, you, what you've been through, you can at least think of people in your life right now who are experiencing the same thing that I'm talking about today. That... Uh, we all are naturally sinful. I mean, just plain and simple. We all naturally want to commit sin. Um, you don't have to, you've heard it said, you don't have to teach your kids to sin. You've got to teach them not to sin. Uh, sinning is the natural thing we want to do. Uh, 
because we enjoy it in the moment. Whatever that sin may be, we enjoy it in the moment. The problem with sin is it's deceitful. We think it's good, we think it's great, we think it, it's, it's wonderful, but it always brings death. It always brings destruction. It always tears down. It always leaves us in a worse situation than we were before. <clears throat> and my other question to go along with this sermon is, have you ever really wondered if you're truly saved or not? Yeah, I know we all have. I hope that no one sitting in here today wonders about that, but... But it's very real possibility. We all have in our Christian walk. We all have in our Christian journey. And I'm sure there will be lots of people um, listening at home that may be feeling exactly like that right now. Well, I want you to know that you can have peace and freedom. It won't be easy, but it is simple. Simple does not mean easy. Those are two completely different things. For something to be simple, it just means I can understand it. It's not complicated. But even things that we can understand and are not complicated can still be very difficult, can't they? And so that's what we'll be looking at today. Let's jump right in. A lot of scripture today. I'm going to be taking our passage and I'm going to be breaking it up and we're going to be jumping back and forth and back and forth. So I, I try not to lose you. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith equal to ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Just so you know, this is how the letter opens. This is how 2,000 years ago people used to write letters. They would start off by saying their own name first, saying who's writing the letter, and then they would have some type of introduction, some type of I wish you the best type introduction. Um, so Simon Peter was just mentioning who he was opening this letter. He said, May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And don't we all want some grace and peace right about now? <clears throat> Verse 3, he says, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And we could stop right there. There's enough packed in this one verse to keep us busy until Christmas is over. But let me ask you the question. When he says his divine power has given us everything, what power is he talking about? What divine power is he talking about? The Holy Spirit. It's not a what, it's a who. It's a person. The Holy Spirit is not Casper. The Holy Ghost is not a ghost. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a person. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So here's that power again. Remember he said, his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. And then he talks about, the again, that power. But you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit has come on you. Now let me give you a little backdrop. Right here in Acts, Jesus is telling his apostles that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, so you just need to wait in the city until you receive the Holy Spirit. This is after Jesus has died and resurrected, and and, and Jesus is telling them right before he's ascending to wait for the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus is on earth for 40 days, and then after the 40 days, he ascends back to heaven. It's another 10 days until Pentecost, And then 10 days later, after Jesus has done ascended back to heaven at Pentecost, then the apostles received the Holy Spirit and they they received that power. But when Jesus told his apostles, now keep in mind, Jesus is the Messiah. His apostles believed he was the Messiah. Jesus said, you know, and they knew what the Messiah was. The Messiah is going to come and he's going to set up an earthly kingdom and he's going to throw off all foreign rulers and they're looking for that king and they're looking for that kingdom. And then Jesus says, oh, and by the way, I'm going to die. And they're saying, wait, 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 no, 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 that's not how it works, Jesus. That's not how it works. See, you don't die. Everyone else dies. Your enemies die. You take up a sword. We follow you in battle. We kill everybody that's oppressing us. That's how it works, Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I will judge the world, but I'm not going to judge them yet. I'm going to die. They're going to kill me. And then Jesus dies, and then all the apostles are thrown into confusion because they're like, wait a minute, our Messiah is dead. This is not how it's supposed to go. And then they're walking home, and they're thinking, we really thought the, the, two, the two disciples on the way back to Emmaus, they're walking with Jesus resurrected, and they're saying, we really thought he was the one. But well, obviously he wasn't. And so Jesus actually rises from the dead, shows them that he's risen from the dead, and what do you think their next response is? <clears throat> okay, now I get it. Our Messiah can't be killed. That's the best person we want to lead in an army and in, in to lead our army. You can shoot him. He's not going to die. That's kind of the mindset that they had. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you still haven't got it yet. When Jesus said to them in Acts 1.8, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Their next response was, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Because here they are, Jesus, who died, has risen from the dead, defeated death, can't be killed, and now Jesus says he's going to give them power, and they're thinking, okay, I'm going to be full of this same power. We're going to be like the ultimate army. But Jesus told them right there. He said, this is what you're going to receive power to do. You're not going to receive power to kill your enemies. You're not going to receive power to to subdue your enemies. You're going to receive power to be my witnesses. That's what the Holy Spirit power is for right now. To give you everything you need to be a witness for Christ. To follow Christ, to live like Christ, to represent Christ, to speak his truth to the world. He's not giving you power to wield, to take other people out. He's giving you power to save people, not kill them. If we have the Holy Spirit in us, then we have everything we need. Look at it again. Verse 3, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. That life, that's eternal life. He's given us everything we need to, have, to receive eternal life, for etern- to have eternal life. 
The Holy Spirit is what we need to have eternal life. And the godliness is right now. You see how they all, the Scripture always ties those two things together? The repent and believe part. You believe and you're saved through faith and you repent and that's the evidence of the Holy Spirit in you to help you live a godly life. Why? Because Jesus had to die for our sins. So he wants us to turn from our sins. Sin is what messed up our relationship with God, so he wants us to get rid of sin so that we have a good relationship with God. Every problem that we have with our relationship with God always boils down to sin. So God says, hey, enter into a relationship with me. I'll forgive you of everything. I'll forgive you of all the sins you've committed, and I'll forgive you of all the times you're going to mess up in the future, because trust me, you're going to mess up a lot. I'll forgive you for all of it. Just turn from it. Turn from it, and I'll be a forgiving God. It's like a parent who tells their kid, go clean your room. If they do, as a parent, you can walk in there and you can always find something they should have done better. But you don't care. You forgive them. You, you, you let all that go because they did what you asked. But if they don't clean it, and then you walk in, and, they, and you ask them, why didn't you clean your room? And they say, well, because no matter how hard I try, it's not going to be good enough, so what's the point? Are you going to be happy with that child? Don't answer out loud. <laughs> no, you're not going to be happy with that child. Because they're just rebellious. They, they, don't, they, don't want, they don't want to be in a good relationship with you at this moment. They don't care. And that's, that's, that's kind of how our relationship with God works. He says, look, the problem we have... What's destroying our relationship is sin, so just turn from it. Well, if you say, well, I can't, I can't turn from all sin, I can't be perfect, so what's the point? Then you're not even trying to have a relationship with God. You're not even trying. But if you do try, then he says, I know you're going to mess up, I know you're going to have faults, and I don't, I don't care, I'll forgive you, because you want a relationship with me. You want one, so I'll forgive you. But this has consequences for us right now this is saying right now we have if we have the holy spirit if you have the holy spirit you have everything you need for eternal life and for godliness right now you have everything you need so if you listen to a tv preacher or any any preacher or a friend anybody it doesn't matter who it is if you listen to anybody and they start telling you that if you want to get to the next level that you have to tap into something that you haven't tapped into before, it's, it's not biblical. It's not right here in plain black and white. God said, you have everything you need. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have everything you need. There's not another level. There's not, there's not something else you have to tap into. There's not an extra, extra step you have to take that you didn't know about. You have everything you need to live in relationship with me and to be a witness for me. You have everything you need. It's already within us. Verse 4, By these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. I want to try my best to share a story that Ravi Zacharias told and I should have wrote it down um, but he, he told a story about he had been to some concentration camps, you know, some, where they had hauled off the Jews, the Nazis hauled off the Jews. 
he had been to some concentration camps, and he was over in, uh, I think he was in Poland. And the guy asked him, have you ever been to Auschwitz? He said, yeah, I've been to, to some concentration camps before. He said, and they named them. He said, no, 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 those are, those are concentration camps. Auschwitz is a death camp. He said, let me take you. And Ravi said he was not prepared for what he was going to experience. And they went, and he went to this death camp, and they went into the place, and they went from room to room, and it showed all this horrible stuff. It showed um, a picture of, of, I can't remember the guy's name, but it showed two twin boys that they had castrated, and it had their picture there that they were doing experiments and all this stuff with them. It it went into another room, and the room was filled with, I want to say it was 14,000 pounds of hair, women's hair where they were shaving their hair off and then they were taking it and selling it to make a profit. So not only were they killing them brutally, they were profiting off it as well. And then they took them into, showed them the room where they, they gassed them, where they pushed them all into the room, told them they were going to get their first shower in however many months they had been there. And uh, they all thought it was going to be a shower and they pack them in real tight and where, you, where you just literally just shoved in, packed together, and then they just turn on the gas, kill them, and then they make them, the prisoners there, actually haul off the dead bodies and, and bury them. I mean, it's awful. And Robbie was sitting there looking at all the evil. And that's what we do. We will read something like this that says, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire, and we'll think about the evil that's in the world. So then he tells another story, Robbie tells another story about... I believe it was Malcolm Muggeridge before he became saved um, because he said he was saved later in life. Um, He was, I can't remember where, he he was maybe India, um, but he was in a river and he was taking a bath. And he looked up the river and he could see the figure of a woman getting in the river to take a bath. And he said he just, he knew it was wrong but he just started swimming up that river towards her as fast as he could. He just wanted to get up there because he was just was filled with this sinful lust that he wanted to, to go pursue her. And as he gets up to this woman, he finally gets to where he could see her clearly. And she's just horrified because this man's swimming at her, covering herself up. And he said when he finally got to see her, it says she was eaten up with leprosy. She didn't have fingers. Her fingers were gone. Her nose was gone. Her, her, her face, her eyes looked like they were about to pop out of her head. And, she, and he said his initial immediate thought was what a hideous woman. And then he said it hit him. He said no. The hideousness was not that woman. It was my heart. See, when we think about evil, we always think it's something out there. But that's not what the Scripture teaches us. That's not what Jesus teaches us. The evil is in here. That's why there's evil out there. Because the evil is in here. James says, No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and He Himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. 
It's our own evil inside of us that causes us to be tempted to do wrong, to sin. Jesus said we are evil, Matthew 7, 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He said, if you who are evil, we are evil. And our first step is we have to recognize that. We have to recognize that we are evil. The evil is within us, not outside of us. Second Peter five through eight, Second Peter one, five through eight says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness. Make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self control, self control with endurance, endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So let's look at those just, just a second, I'm not going to commentate on them, just, just think them through, because this is what Peter's telling us. So therefore, this is what we must do. And he's talking to the saved in the church. He's talking to, to the saved. So this is who I'm talking to. He said, this is what we must do. We must supplement our faith with goodness. Therefore, we should strive to live good lives. We should be good to people. We should be good to our neighbors. We should be good to our family. We should be good to our friends. We should be good to our enemies. We should be good to all people regardless of whether they're good to us or not. And we should be, supplement that with knowledge. In other words, right here, this, knowledge of this, God's Word. Because without knowing this, we can't know what good and evil is. Paul said if it wasn't for the commandment to say do not covet, he said I wouldn't have known that it was wrong to covet. And I'm telling you, nobody in America would know it's wrong to covet because everybody in America is taught to covet. It's big business. Big business. To want what you don't have. To not be satisfied with what you have. To be unsatisfied, dissatisfied, that, therefore I want what I don't have yet. And that is marketing. Marketing is the, t- is the tactic of making you dissatisfied with what you have. That's the key to marketing. If I can make you dissatisfied with what you have, then you will do whatever you got to do to get what I'm trying to say. So we should supplement our faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge of God's word, knowledge with self-control. Because we are free does not mean that we are free to do whatever we please. Without self-control, we are going to live very disappointed lives, very sad, upset broken lives if we cannot find self-control self-control with endurance because this life is tough and we're going to need endurance to get us through it we're going to need endurance to get through this world that we live in knowing that it's for such a short time it's such a short time and it's that short time that we have to make the biggest impact that we can endurance with godliness to live the way that Jesus lived, to turn from sin, to repent, and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. That if we would love God and love others, that we will do well. And God, by giving us the Holy Spirit, has given us everything we need to do these things. So don't be deceived. Don't let anyone trick you. Don't let anyone lie to you and make you think that I am addicted to so-and-so and therefore I can't break free of it because it's a, 
It's an addiction that I have. No, 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 no. You have something stronger than your addiction. You have the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God can help you break free of any addiction you may have, whether it's alcohol or drugs or whether it's something like pornography or whether it's greed. I'm addicted to, to or coveting. I mean, you can be addicted to just about anything. You, can become, you become addicted when you don't have self-control. And the Holy Spirit can, is all you need to get past these things. Why? Because, let me skip forward here. Let me, let me finish this verse. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you can work on those things to supplement your faith with goodness and self-control and love, if you can work on living out those qualities, then it will keep you from becoming useless or unfruitful at the end of your life. And how many of us really, honestly, if we're, if we're Christians and we've been Christians for a long time and we know we're all going to die one day, all of us are going to die one day, how many of us are actually, don't raise your hand, but just answer, answer to yourself honestly, how many of us are afraid that we're going to get to the end of our life and honestly not have done anything really beneficial to the kingdom when we get there? That's what he's talking about. Becoming useless or unfruitful is what Paul, Peter's talking about. Can you enter into a relationship with Jesus and just sit there and do nothing the rest of your life? You can. You can come into a relationship with Jesus and just be a knot on the log. I can be good and do nothing. But we don't want to be that way. None of us do. And Peter is telling the church, you don't want to end up at the end of your life that way. So do good for others. Reach out to others. Be kind to your neighbors. Start there. And then just by doing good and being good, then you will end up sharing the kingdom and people, you'll have conversations with people and you'll share the gospel with people through conversations. All right, I'm going to skip forward. <clears throat> he wraps this up. This is verse 8. He wraps this up in verse 9 and 10 by saying, The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. And that's such an important point. We cannot forget where we've come from. That we were sinful. That we were forgiven of all of our sins against God. We can't forget that. Because if we forget the cleansing from our past sins, it leads to arrogance and legalism and judgmentalism. That's where it leads us. Because we won't stay humble, because we won't remember the extreme weight that I had on me, that I was sinful, and I knew I was sinful, and I knew I could not save myself, and I needed Jesus to save me, and he did, and I was thankful because he saved me. He reached down. It was his mercy, his compassion, his love, his grace that offered me an opportunity for salvation. Because if he wasn't merciful and graceful and compassionate for me, I would still be lost because I cannot save myself. And we can't forget that in dealing with others. 
He was gracious and merciful and compassionate to me, and that's the only reason I'm saved today. I cannot then take that and say, well, you just need to be good like me. We can't, get, we can't cross that bridge. We must stay humble and compassionate and loving for those that are in, are in the same situation that we were in. Don't forget where we came from. Verse 10 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. Peter tells us to examine ourselves and to make every effort to make sure that we are part of the elect and that we are saved and will enter through the narrow gate and not deceive ourselves and be turned away. Paul tells us the same thing in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, when he said, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you yourselves not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test? And so what is the test? How do we examine ourselves? The only, the only test that's given to us over and over and over and over and over throughout the New Testament is, are you bearing fruit? That's the only test given to us. Are you bearing fruit? Are you bearing fruit? Are you bearing fruit? Is there evidence of the gener- uh, Holy Spirit changing you and making you into a new creation in your life? Or are we still living in sin? So the question you need to ask yourself is, if I could categorize myself as one or the other, which would it be? Am I still enslaved to sin, or am I now enslaved to righteousness? Because as we were talking this morning in our Sunday school class, is that when the Holy Spirit comes in and changes you, He changes your wants as well. And so now you're not not enslaved to that sin anymore. You don't want anything to do with sin anymore. You want righteousness. You want godliness. You want to be pleasing to your Father. And you know what I'm talking about, because when the Holy Spirit has come in you and changed you, it changes what you want. I don't want to displease my Father. I don't want to sin. I want to be right with God. So fruit, look for fruit. Because when God comes to live within us, He actually changes us. I'm going to skip some more. I'm still working out this whole how much Scripture makes a right-sized sermon. But here, we're going to jump to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. This is such an important verse. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. That is how you can have the power for life and godliness through the Holy Spirit. Because the power of God himself is hedging you in and protecting you and shielding you from all temptations. So if you have an addiction, whatever that may be, And like I said, it can be just about anything. And you feel like I can't get out of that cycle and I can't break it. This is the promise of God that you can. The promise. Not a recommendation, not a hopeful wish. It is a promise. God said, I promise, whatever that sin is that's got a hold of you, that if you will repent and believe and receive the Holy Spirit within you, I will come to live within you that I will make sure that you do not face any temptation that you cannot resist. 
I'll make sure of it. And I will give you the power to say no. And I will give you a door for escape. I'll give you a way out. I promise. And what's beautiful about that is it's not just he's shielding us from those outside of us, such as Satan and his demons or the world. It's from the evil within us as well. He is shielding us from the evil within us. That he will make sure that our temptations within us do not grow so much that we can't say no. And so I've always said it's a double-edged sword. It's good news on one side and bad news on the other. The good news is you can say no to any temptation for the rest of your life if you have the Holy Spirit because he will enable you to do so. It is theoretically possible you can live a sinless life and deny all temptations, theoretically. But it has the other side. Anytime you do give in to temptation, it's your fault. And until you're willing to embrace that, you're never going to get past it. If you're always blaming somebody else, you're always blaming something without, out of your control, you'll never be able to get past it. You have to embrace that God has made me a promise and God has promised that he will not allow me to be tempted more than I can bear it. And he will give me a way of escape in every tempta- temptation. And you have to embrace that. If I don't say no, it's my fault. You have to embrace that if you're going to claim, or I don't like to use the word claim, but if you're going to grab a hold of that promise that he's made you. He made you a promise. It's there within your reach. All you got to do is grab a hold of it. That I can say no. I can. And you got to quit letting people lie to you and convince you that you can't. You can. Because you have the Holy Spirit of God in you. Back to Second Peter. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. For in this way, you will enter the kingdom of God. The author of Hebrews said it in a different way. He said, pursue peace with everyone in holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Second Peter 1, 12 through 15. We're wrapping up. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things. This is Paul speaking to the church. I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth you now have. I think it is right, as long as I am in this bodily tent, to wake you up with a reminder. Since I know that I will soon lay aside my tent, as our Lord Jesus Christ has indeed made clear to me. And I will also make every effort so that you are able to recall these things at any time after my departure. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, oh, my bad. That's, hold on. Peter's saying here to the church, he said, as long as I'm with you, I feel it's right to remind you of these things. And so therefore, as your pastor, as long as I'm with you, I feel it is right to remind you of these things that you have everything you need for life and godliness through the Holy Spirit. You have everything you need. You have the power to defeat sin in your life. You have the power to break free from any chains you're in or believe that you're bound in, believe that you can't get free from that are sinful in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
He will give you the way and he will, he will provide a way for escape and he will make sure that you aren't tempted more than you can handle. And that is an amazingly beautiful and promising, uh, wonderful promise. That's a wonderful promise. And it's what people need to hear. Because a lot of people don't believe it. And I hate to tell you, it's a lie straight from Satan to say that some, some sin's got a hold of you that you can't break free from and you can't get rid of is a lie straight from Satan. And why is all this true? How is all this true? Because the Holy Spirit is real. He's not a figment of our imagination. He's not something that we think some people have and some people don't. He's real. He's a person. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. The evidence of his Spirit in you is godliness and sanctification. That's the evidence. That's the fruit. That's how you can tangibly see. Because, because as much as you want to, you cannot tangibly see the Holy Spirit. You cannot look at me and know if I have the Holy Spirit in me by looking at me. Because I don't look any different than anybody else. But you can see the evidence. You can see the fruit. And that's how you can know. It's godliness that leads you to a fruitful life for the kingdom. So the question is, are you a new creation? Are you a new creation? Is there a change in my life is there a noticeable difference from before I had the Holy Spirit to after I had the Holy Spirit? Because there will be. Has the Holy Spirit caused me to hate sin and to love holiness? Because He will. He's the Spirit. That's literally His name in the Greek. The Spirit of holiness. That's what He is. The Spirit of holiness. He will make you love holiness and hate sin. Has there been a change in your life? Have you been radically changed? I'm looking around the room. I've seen the evidence of the Holy Spirit in everyone here. Can I be deceived? Sure. Can you? Sure. But we're, just, we're, just, we're told to look for the evidence. But everyone here knows someone who's not. Share your story with them. Share with them how God has radically changed you through the power of the Holy Spirit and has given you everything you need to defeat sin and conquer sin in your life and to live for Him and to have a beautiful eternal future waiting for you. Tell them. Tell them what He's done for you. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful that You have come to make us a new creation. We are thankful that You have taken us lost in our sin, no way of escape, hopeless, and you became our hope. That you came and paid the price we could not pray, pay. You came and died on a cross for our sins. That you paid the penalty. And that you offer forgiveness of sins to us freely. You offer it to us because you love us. And Father, we can never be thankful enough for your love for us. Father, we ask you to please help us to love the way you do. 
Help us to love those around us the way you love those around us. Help us to stay humble and to recognize that everyone's story is our own story. Help us not to forget where we came from, that we were lost and hopeless, and that you came and graciously offered us salvation, and that without you we would be lost in our sins forever. Help us to remain humble and to keep that attitude when we are talking with others. We love you, Father. We thank you for all that you've done for us. And, Father, we are looking forward to the future you have in store for us. Father, we're thankful that you have decided to come and live within us and to give us everything we need to get through this life until the day you call us home. We love you, Father. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen.